you'll pray with me? Dear Father God, we praise you and we thank you for giving us this time together, Lord. Thank you uh, for, for bringing us through these past 11 weeks of this class, the great discussions that we've had with each other. Lord, as, as we come into the discussion of our present time as, as art appreciators and artists and above all as your followers, Lord, uh, guide our hearts discerningly uh, uh, to, uh, to engage with the world around us. In Christ's name, amen. And I'm going to start us as I have many of our previous weeks, with a little prayer from our prayer book. It's, uh, it's the uh, 75th collect in the bag. It's just for holy thought. O oh God, without whose beauty and goodness our souls are unfed, without whose truth our reason withers, Consecrate our lives to your will, giving us such purity of heart, such depth of faith, and such steadfastness of purpose, that in time we may come to think your own thoughts after you, through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. So, So last week we talked a bit about uh, about literature, especially as we progressed through the 19th century uh, towards the end, and some of the movements that were happening in literature in that period of time. We talked about uh, especially um, romanticism, realism, and naturalism. In each of those, uh, you know, there are certain characteristics. With with romanticism, the uh, the supernatural and providence, God, uh, oftentimes but not necessarily, uh, is is very present. In realism, it's a it's a bit more distant. We're ta- we're talking about everyday occurrences and everything. And naturalism is. Uh, you know, is is very well. Even even the protagonist, you know, may uh, uh, may get killed off in a in a very random fashion. Uh, it's uh, and these are characteristics. You know, as we see in the art world, the art world is where whereas for the past thousand to eight you know eighteen hundred years. You're seeing a great unity between the art world and the church. As we move in from the 19th into the 19th and 20th centuries, those worlds are becoming more and more separate. There is, there is, and we see its effect today. We're seeing, we've been seeing it in Europe for, you know, a few decades now. And we're seeing the effects of this uh, today, even in North America, the uh, the the gradually the gradual 
decrease of Christianity's influence in our overall culture. A recent Gallup poll uh, from 2020 uh, showed that only 47% of Americans now belong to a house of worship. That's any house of worship. That's, that's churches, synagogues, mosques. So, so uh, less than 47% of Americans now belong to a house of worship. So there has been a, a decreasing influence of Christianity in the world, and therefore also that has come to fruition in the art world. Also, the, the lack of assigned meaning uh, overall, you know, philosophically, but, uh, but in worldview in general, worldview, uh, well, mean, meaning is more subjective than objective in the typical world philosophy now. This, this ends up changing what the definition of art is and how that's expressed. We see signs of this 100 years ago. Uh, So the first image over here is from 1917. So that is, um, uh, you know, just over 100 years ago. And then we have... Uh, this image, this is from 1996. These are both displays from uh, that, that were in galleries. The first is uh, Mar- Marcel Duchamp's Fountain. Uh, Duchamp, uh, basically, he took a, as, as you can tell, a, uh, a normal urinal from a bathroom <laughs> he he painted uh, the uh, a um, a fault signature R Mutt uh, 1917 onto it, turned it sideways and put it in a display in a gallery, and and he said this is art because. I'm an artist, I'm putting it on display, therefore, it is art. Now, does it have characteristics of art that we, that we, have, that we have talked about? Does, does, it even, uh, does it even have craftsmanship? No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's I uh, I it his his whole idea was yeah it it is art because I declare it thus. He assigned the meaning to it, and and therefore that's uh, that's that's the meaning that was to be taken from it. It is a urinal turned sideways, and it is art. All the way into the 1990s, uh, date the, the, date, uh, the artist Damien Hirst, who sometimes has, has had a tendency to 
um, uh, court controversy, uh, he, this, this is actually a plate. So there is somewhat of a craftsmanship in it. It is not a, uh, it is not an ashtray. It is a plate with a print of an ashtray on it. <laughs> so, so it may be one step up from the fountain. <laughs> uh, uh, that, uh, so, so there may be some craftsmanship there. Is there beauty there? Is, is there beauty in uh, the, the portrayal of cigarettes and ashes in a tray plastered onto a, uh, onto a plate? <laughs> but it was displayed in a gallery. Uh, you know, it was declared as art. And and uh, and uh, I think it actually sold for a decent amount. Uh, other things, you know, have have regularly occurred in galleries over the past century. Uh, my my Christianity and arts teacher uh, <laughs> told <laughs> told a story about uh, being. Uh, his his professor was at a gallery showing, and and someone walking through knocked over a a pile of uh, of uh, sticks and or little twigs that were on the floor, and he assumed that this was just so, something that had accidentally been drugged in from outside. Suddenly, someone comes up screaming at him. It's like you—you you ruined my display. This—this <laughs> this is a piece of art. It was a pile of sticks on the floor, and—and <laughs> uh, and so there is a lack of solid definition about what art is nowadays. Uh, the, uh, there was an artist in the mid-20th century, and he was a great friend of, uh, of the theologian uh, Francis Schaeffer. But his name was Hans Ruckmacher, and he basically drew from the, from the uh, already post-Christian direction of culture, the anti-theistic direction of culture, uh, that this is ultimately what what was uh, destroying the meaning of art. Hans Ruckmacher said, "If God is dead, art is dying, and man is dying." Um, oh, a uh, a. Uh, News, newspaper critic at the time of Duchamp's Fountain said, uh, whether Mr. Mutt, because that's how it was signed, <laughs> with his own hands made the fountain uh, or not, it has no importance. He chose it. He took an ordinary article of life, placed it so that its useful significance disappeared under the new title and point of view, 
uh, and created a new thought for that object. Therefore, that's why it was art. Um, however, don't let these you know, completely destroy uh, uh, your thought. Of course, you know, we know there were great artists of the 20th century, some of whom, for uh, a lack of time, were, you know, uh, we're not going to discuss in this class. Uh, Picasso, Picasso, I'm just having to push aside. Sorry. <laughs> um, but there are some great artists uh, got that one backwards. Uh, of, I'll start with Rouault. <laughs> so, Georges Rouault is, is one of the great expressionist painters of the 20th century and his faith very much influenced his art you think of of the the uh post-impressionists of the late 19th century that who we've already discussed uh, Gauguin and Van Gogh and you see some similarities especially in the use of color Rouault takes it a bit further. Uh, he, uh, he, he abandons a lot of the form that even uh, Gauguin and Van Gogh stuck to. Uh, he keeps with the same bright colors, but, but here in Christ and the Fisherman, uh, the, the forms of Christ and the fishermen around him are all very basic. He's going for the expression of the scene, the, uh, the emotional side of the scene as he sees it. So he is bringing in some of the subjectivism that is coming in as an influence from the culture and marrying it with his Christian worldview. Uh, and here is his crucifixion over here, again, very, very basic forms, very uh, uh, rounded or other geometric shapes making up these bodies. Um, uh, in reference to, to the fisherman scene, he, he also occasionally wrote poetry. He said uh, of Christ, his friends were fishermen, understood in the best sense Clearly, he could do no other in taking our suffering than going where it was most severe. Now, also, at the same time, there, uh, uh, in the in the mid twentieth century, Salvador Dali. Uh, Dali started in the. Uh, in the 1920s, and originally he was very much in the same style as some of the of the impressionist painters of the previous century. He was very straightforward. Uh, used uh, he liked to use very basic colors and everything, but uh, but he was some marriage between realist and impressionist. But then he started meeting a lot of. Uh, writers, filmmakers, other thinkers in Paris, 
and uh, during his time in Paris, and uh, and it pushed him in new directions, very unrealistic directions. And we all know, uh, hopefully, uh, some of his more surrealist work, where you have uh, the clocks which are melting. Uh, off, off the surface and other very strange imagery uh, ends up being recycled in a lot of uh, uh, science fiction later. Um, his take on religious art uh, also, also breaks normal boundaries. This first painting, you know, you see, you see Christ on the cross suspended uh, above this lake with a fishing boat and mountain scene and everything. He called this Christ of St. John of the Cross. Why St. John of the Cross? Because St. John of the Cross was one of the great mystics of, uh, of church history. Uh, he and Teresa of Avila uh, you know, were very formative in the in the contemplative and mystical movements within the Catholic Church. And you see this mysticism uh, coming through constantly in different ways in Dolly's work. This middle one, it, it's striking. It's called the Sacrament of the Last Supper. And you see these, uh, uh, the uh, apostles around the table, they are dressed very much like monks, uh, and they are bowed in prayer. Uh, Christ is sitting there dressed as, uh, uh, dressed in somewhat of a toga, you know, pointing upward. And you see his mystical body, you know, hovering there in midair. Uh, and then you see other things that, that Dolly did uh, his uh, another one of his crucifixions, where Christ is suspended in midair uh, over a a, a cube like cross. And I, uh, before you ask, I don't know all, all of the symbolism behind that one, uh, but uh, but those are the things that Dolly tended to to uh, play to is. Um, is a lot of mystical or unrealistic imagery, even though in his depiction of form and color, he was much more realistic than, say, Rouault or any of the, um, the uh, post-impressionists before them. Moving into the later part of 20th century, we have the rise of pop art, and, uh, which, which borrowed from everyday uh, commercial art a lot of the time. It could uh, borrow from things like uh, comic strips or, uh, or advertisements, uh, take, take works from the past, Merge them in into uh, into collage and other forms. Of course, we have Andy Warhol being the uh, the most well known of the pop artists. 
There was actually a display uh, for a good portion of 2020 of Andy Warhol's work at the Speed Museum, and I didn't get to see it. I lament that I didn't get to see it, Um, but pandemic and all, and I'm honestly not that big of a Warhol fan. (laughs) Uh, uh, But the fact is, even though he had a very... um, odd lifestyle, we'll say that, uh, and, and one that you would not uh, associate with, uh, with faithful Christianity, that was juxtaposed with the fact that he was a cradle Catholic and, and was actually a daily communicant uh, for, for the better part of his adult life. So you've got these these very you know opposing parts of his life, and you almost see that in his work. It's irreverent. Uh, you're uh, you know in in this one he takes uh, a Madonna by Raphael, and in this one he takes obviously Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper. And, and yet, you know, he, he makes prints of them. He actually puts, you know, a, a, uh, a price sticker on, on this one. He, he is remarkably irreverent, at least on the surface, with what he's doing with these works. And yet, if you, if you read him talk about his faith, uh, he, he has this... You know, strange connection to his Catholicism, even though that's, you know, totally opposing what's going on in his life as well. But uh, you also see that in certain ways. You know, we talked about Caravaggio uh, a few weeks ago. You know, remarkable works, especially with his use of light, uh, how he, you know, drew attention to characters, really personalized what was going on, and he was a brawler and, uh, and even killed a, killed a man outside a pub. He constantly hung out with, uh, with the, uh, the lower parts of society as, as well and was very much involved in that society, and yet... Some of his, you know, his most well-known works are his depiction of the calling of Matthew and other biblical scenes. And finally, talking about... Oh, it's wrong one. There we go. <laughs> So, does anyone know what this is? Has anyone ever seen this before? Okay. <laughs> I, I had... You're going to have to say it because I'm not. Okay. <laughs> so, so, there are two titles to this one. The first one, the first title for this is Immersion. Um, uh, uh, but, you know, if, if you're looking at this from... From uh, you know, just you know, without knowing what it is, um, then you're thinking, oh, you know, 
nice sort of golden glow uh, on, on the cross and everything. But this is probably uh, one of the most controversial pieces of art in the last uh, 30 years. Um, uh, it is a plastic crucifix uh, submerged in the artist's urine. Uh, he, he took a picture of this and put it on display. And because he explained uh, what it was, uh, the, the alternate title is, you know, forgive the language, it's called Piss Christ. Um, and, uh, and the artist, uh, who, uh, Andre Serrano, said it was an expression of his faith. His words were, what it symbolizes is the way Christ died. The blood came out of him, but so did uh, the, the urine and the feces. Uh, maybe if piss Christ upsets you, it's because it gives some sense of what the crucifixion actually was like. I was born and raised a Catholic and I've been a Catholic all my life. So he's, he's saying that it is an expression of, of his faith. And, and yet it ends up being uh, uh, condemned by Catholic authorities. And uh, uh, it is, uh, uh, it's a contentious piece still to this Day and it brings up the question, and you know, it's one we can discuss. You know, is is there a point uh, to, uh, to where a uh, by by the means you use to create a work and and what it is doing in itself is sacrilegious. Uh, and I don't know the answer of that. I think this is. This is a question we can, we should be having, uh, because uh, you know, what do you do when you know if you did not know how this work was created, it might not offend you. Another thing that arises, particularly in the twentieth century. Even though, of course, it's always existed to some extent, is kitsch. Now, I, I may the particular choices I made here may offend someone. <laughs> Thank you. So, so the marketability of art. Uh, you know, we we have such a means to reproduce art uh, nowadays that, of course, it becomes a commercial industry. Therefore, certain artists drift towards uh, not maybe the opposite direction of what the previous artist I just showed do, who court controversy. Uh, uh, other artists court palatability. Uh, 
art that, uh, that draws on the lowest common sentiments between us. Because if you do that, you are guaranteed to keep selling reproductions of your work. And so one example that happened uh, early, somewhat early, early mid-20th century, uh, the artist Warner Salmon. You end up seeing his depiction of the head of Christ in, in lots of homes. It got printed on cards, a lot of evangelistic uh, uh, ministries uh, said, well, one, one particular said that, um, that uh, 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 people should be card-carrying Christians, just like you know, people are card-carrying union members or whatnot. And so you've got this picture of the head of Christ manufactured on cards, other people pictures by Warner Salmon. I remember from little stick fans in, uh, in one of the churches I grew up in that you fan yourself uh, with, uh, with his uh, picture of Christ knocking on the door of, uh, it's called Christ at Heart's Door. And so uh, he was really one of the biggest early mass market Christian uh, Christian artist. One of the latest, of course, um, uh, up up until his death just about a decade ago, was Thomas Kincaid. Thomas Kincaid, um, his his idea, and and it's an interesting idea to contemplate, but he wanted to portray a world in which the fall had not happened. Uh, and so what you get are you know, extremely peaceful, extremely bright, uh, extremely pristine images in his artwork of, of cottages and churches. And there is very little to no darkness or unpleasantness in the scene at all. It appeals in some sense, to everyone. The, uh, the writer, uh, I may uh, mispronounce the name, uh, Milan Kundera uh, writes, Kitsch causes two tears to flow in quick succession. The first tear says, how nice to see children running on the grass. The second tear says, how nice to be moved together with all mankind by children running on the grass. It is the second tear that makes kitsch kitsch. So then with, with all of these different kinds of art, going on in, the, uh, in our current society and we're still moving forward, uh, you know, uh, how, how do we appreciate the art that is in our society? Those that, uh, uh, those that uh, you know, are 
are very much at one with the Christian mindset, but then maybe they're the way they are created or just the quality of their creation you know, does not live up to par. Or those works of art that are in, uh, in the world being made well, but then they totally reject our Christian message. And this goes back to some of what we talked about in our first, uh, first three lessons. Uh, and one is keeping a, a Christian uh, view of art, even if the world rejects it. Uh, the world now no longer typically contains beauty in its definition of art. You can look at any modern dictionary and it's no, it no longer engages uh, beauty. Um, uh, an artist who I have referenced quite a bit in our lessons and who has, uh, whose artwork has provided a lot of the backgrounds of, of what I have done. Uh, Makoto Fujimura um, has, uh, he is a well-known artist in New York, and he says, you know, if you bring up the idea of beauty, uh, prepare to be criticized. That is not part of the discussion around art in our contemporary context. But going back to the, uh, to the uh, definition of art as was related in Webster's 1913 dictionary that we referenced towards the beginning of our time together, the Webster's dictionary back then said art was the application of skill to the, to the production of the beautiful by imitation or design, or an occupation in which skill is so employed, as in painting and sculpture. So, so back then, back a hundred years ago, beauty was so much a part of, of what art was. And my, my particular uh, Christianity and arts professor, Steve Halla, uh, uh, his definition of art was the aesthetic subju subjugation of creation. So again, uh, taking, taking creation, taking what has been given to us by God and, and taking his command to us to, uh, uh, to subjugate creation, to do that for the purpose of beauty. So when we engage with the world around us, then, then uh, you know, and the art world around us, one of the first questions we ask is, you know, is there beauty in this? But also, as, as we talked about the um, uh, Bezalel and the Holyab, as, as, uh, as they made the artwork for the tabernacle, 
is their skill in this. They were, the scripture says they were specifically given the skills and talents by God uh, uh, to work in these areas. And so, and so we look at something and, you know, we ask, is there beauty there? And is there skill there? Uh, it, you know, is this showing the talents that are given to this artist by God? And then we see also from those same scriptures, is it reflecting that which is true and good? So, and, and truth, truth may not always be pretty. You know, you think of the photographs of uh, Ansel Adams. And what's so striking about those photographs uh, is the contrast between light and dark. Uh, you know, they're great black and white photographs. And you see the contrast between light and dark. And, and this is something that good art shows. Uh, we see the, the, the light for being light because sometimes because the dark is so dark. You know, our best stories that we tell are stories uh, that, that often have a lot of tragedy in them uh, that, uh, that you know, sometimes have violence, sometimes have horror, you know, sometimes have a lot of peril. Uh, and, but we see the redemption arc in those stories. And so when a piece of visual art or a piece of, uh, of music, you know, some, some of my favorite pieces of music are, are in minor keys. You know, they bring, they bring out the sorrow of our situations, even, even a couple of my favorite hymns. Uh, uh, and yet it is from that sorrow that, that we can see the beauty emerge all the more gloriously. And so, as we wrap up this session, uh, I want to challenge us that we... Um, uh, to, to also see ourselves, e- even as we engage with the culture around us, to also recognize that we are part of that culture. We are part of the world that we are living in. Think of, uh, think of Paul as he was on his journeys. You know, he was supporting himself a lot of the time by making tents, and he even, in his interactions uh, uh, with, with the philosophers of, of the time, he was calling out you know, what, what the pagan philosophers were saying to make, to make his point. He was part of the culture he lived in, uh, and he engaged with it. And also... Think back to the to the early Celtic monastics that we uh, that we talked about. How they moved into their societies, they set up shop and actually started 
being the makers of culture in those societies. When you do things, uh, when, uh, when you are, are creating good art, when you are crea- creating art that, that promotes truth, promotes beauty, promotes goodness, you know, sometimes it will be despised. It cannot be ignored. So, uh, next time we will talk about uh, about making art in a post-Christian world. All right. Uh, next week is our last discussion. So, we'll see you then.